Are the rumours true that this is out with the flooring porter betting syndicate that we were... They're trying to, to hide the money here, Will. That's what yeah. they're trying to do now. I can either <laughs> confirm nor deny that. <laughs> Subscribe to the Hurling Pod feed on the OTB Sports app now. Now, let's turn to football. Daniel Harris is with us. Daniel, good morning to you. Hello. What kind of a title race are we having here? Is this um, proper two all-time great teams? Are they... What, what, what is the context of the title race? How good... Yeah. I think to be all-time great teams, they prob- um, probably need to win something, one more thing, maybe. But it's definitely one of the great rivalries of not just the Premier League era, but any era in English football. Because what we're seeing is we're seeing two teams that are inspiring each other to greater heights. And when they play each other, we're often seeing really good, intense games, which hopefully will happen again next weekend. The... Liverpool fans uh, that I know and some of them uh, work with us here were like, oh, Man City are going to win this league title. No, Man City, it's Man City's to win. And then Liverpool kind of um, had a bad run of form. And I, I felt a little bit like the Liverpool fans were like being uh, reflectively, uh, I, you know, defensive about that. It was like, there's no way that Liverpool should be behind this City team. And in the long run, they shouldn't. They're just as good as them. And they... They should believe that they can go toe-to-toe with them, notwithstanding the amount of money that Man City have spent. Liverpool are a bloody good team. Yeah, I think, I think Liverpool do that. When we see the heads, what you don't, you don't have Liverpool sitting back trying to stay in the game. You have Liverpool trying to impose their game on City. I don't think that Liverpool feel they're inferior at all. And I think one of the things that's very characteristic of this Klopp side is they think that they can win any game from any position. And that comes from the mentality of Jurgen Klopp, who... I mean, it also comes from within, with the, from the players, but he's able to tap into that. And what, he's, what his genius is, it's, I guess in its way, probably the most similar to Fergie's genius, is that he's able to agitate, stroke the various egos and various personalities so that they produce performances that you might previously have thought were above the individual players and sustain it over a period of seasons. Does the fact that there are so many more games now actually help to he seems he seems good at rotating and he seems good at making sure that most of the players are relatively happy like maybe Divock Origi is an outlier and not many Origis in the world would be happy to have his kind of uh, tiny number of minutes but there's loads of other players around the club I don't know I think I think most of the Origis in the world would be quite happy to play for Liverpool like (laughs) Divock Origi that particular Divock Origi might not but the majority of the Origi is probably quite a fancy bit in professional footballer (laughs) maybe fair enough Sorry, sorry. <laughs> that, was, that was terrible, sorry. But um, I think what you find is that you can keep squad players happy when you're winning. Because what you have is there'll be some players that know that they're first 11 players that ultimately they play in it. Like Mohamed Salah's not thinking, am I going to get in the team this week? Then there are other players who either have to win their place or they play when one of the first choices isn't available. But they know that over the course of the season, they'll get between, say, 30 to 45 starts. They don't know when they'll come. They may only come in the biggest games if someone else isn't available, but they know that they'll get those games. So at United, you had Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, Javier Hernandez, Phil Neville, who didn't know when their games would be, but they knew that they would get their games and they're an important part of the squad. And even being a sub, when you're in a team that's going for everything, even being and trying to win stuff, even being a sub, you know that that's an important and often a specialist role. So... Once you stop winning, then you struggle to keep those players. But for as long as you're winning or contesting the big pots, players will take not playing every game to be a part of that. Is that 
mentality stronger than what Manchester City have, just given the fact that some of the quality that they have in the Origi role, for example, is a bit stronger, or has been at least over the last couple of years? Yeah, I think I think the thing with City is that they, they have had more options, but Liverpool have sort of addressed that, really, in the last couple of the transfer windows, because they had the, the three strikers, but now they've got Luis Diaz and um, Diego Jota as well, who they can pick without any drop-off. I mean, I think both of them are better players than Roberto Firmino. They turned up, they fit immediately, because I guess Klopp was very precise about the kind of player that he wanted. That's what he said. I mean, he said about Jota at the weekend that, they knew what he was when they bought him, but actually he's turned out to be a bit better than they thought he was. Whereas Luis Diaz, when they came up against him for Porto, they thought, well, this bloke is exactly what we want in a wide forward. So they went and bought him. And when you start slotting players who are exactly the profile of what you need into a team that already works really well, then you, what you see is the way that Luis Diaz and Jota have settled in because everyone knows what their role is. Their role can be easily communicated to them. And they've been signed in order to play specifically that role, not to really change very much from what was already there before. They're just sort of better or younger versions of what was already there. That uh, squad development and, and evolution, are you seeing the same thing happen at City? Um, like uh, the the big story breaking on The Athletic this morning, for example, is that Jack Grealish is about to become the first footballer to sign a seven-figure deal with Gucci. Um, <laughs> what? Yeah, yeah. He's the house wow. of Gucci, the house of Grealish. Um, I mean, look, anything that can link Lady Gaga and uh, Jack Grealish, we're all about that on this show. Oh, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, like, they're so, they're so spectacularly in, uh, endowed with talent that they can afford to sign players at that amount of money and not have them make an immediate impact but slowly work their way into the team and I guess Liverpool are kind of there now but uh, it turns out their players are, are making an impact better it, it almost feels a little bit like Man City have um, less of a, a, a clear cut idea of what they're trying to be um, and yet it doesn't matter because of the talent of the players they have if that kind of makes sense I'm just trying to uh, split the hairs sure. of difference between the two I know of them. what you mean I know what you mean because Grealish hasn't worked and he also didn't look at the time even like the player that they needed but I don't think we could accuse Pep Guardiola of not having a specific idea about how he wants his teams to play and what he wants from his players I think the thing that is the case about Pep Guardiola football and actually this is also when it's even played by a team that isn't managed by Pep Guardiola when it's played really well it's probably the hardest football to beat that there's ever been because you never have the ball so if you look at Spain without Pep Guardiola when they were winning when they won those three three pots in a row they weren't they weren't they were dominant because they dominated possession but they weren't creating chance after chance they weren't tearing teams apart they were just almost impossible to beat because no one could get the ball off them for long enough to do enough to beat them and it wasn't until really that they were over the hill at the Brazil World Cup where they started to lose games. And that's the thing with City. What happens with City in Europe and what's happened with every team in Europe that Pep Guardiola's managed, apart from the team that had the greatest midfield of all time and Messi, is that eventually when they start playing against the best attacks or Tottenham, they get found out. Because if you're signing your goalkeeper and your defender primarily because they're good on the ball then eventually you're going to meet a team where that's just not enough. And that's why they haven't won the European Cup yet. They should still have won the European Cup because merely sensible defending should have won them at least one European Cup from when 
Guardiola, they, when they started getting really good in Guardiola's second season until now, they should have managed to win either the European Cup where they got knocked out by Liverpool or the European Cup where they got knocked out by Tottenham because no one sensible would say that City weren't the best team in Europe in those seasons. They were. But there's still that thing and that's still that thing that I think that they will still win the league because of it because ultimately they're the hardest team to beat. They've got loads of options when they're not winning. They know how to win. But in the Cup, they've got to play. They've got to play Liverpool and then maybe Chelsea, maybe Palace and then the Champions League. I mean, they've avoided Bayern Munich, but they will have to play Liverpool or Bayern Munich in the final. You would think that to, to expect them with that defence to beat Liverpool in a semi-final and then Liverpool or Bayern Munich in the final, that's asking quite a lot of a defence that has regularly let them down. Um, and it's in a, in a one-off game. In a one-off game, but if they turn up in those games, then I still think that their best is the best. If City turn up and play as well as they can, then in the in the key games and they should win they should win everything but the the difference between Liverpool and City Liverpool City Bayern Munich is so small that you would think that one of those teams will have something to say in one of the trophies that's left about one of them I just wanted to ask you about Manchester United Daniel the the bad news obviously ah. was the the draw on Saturday the good news is that Ralph Ranić's recommendations are in. Uh, according to the Daily Telegraph, he's made four recommendations to the hierarchy. Uh, they include aping Manchester City and Liverpool by recruiting unconditionally to the specific playing style of the new manager, prioritising physical, aggressive players after concluding the squad was too soft physically, uh, thorough profiling of a player's DNA before signing is another thing he wants, and lastly, accepting it could take up to three transfer windows to put things right, provided the plan is followed. I think Manchester United fans would take three transfer windows to get things right, wouldn't they? Yeah, I mean, it shouldn't it shouldn't take as many as three necessarily. Depend just because that that how many transfer windows it takes depends a lot on how much money the owners are going to allow to spend. But I mean, all that stuff. I mean, it's amazing that it's kind of seems like revelatory for a football club, really. Be like Liverpool and Man City. I mean, what a sorry state of affairs that is for Manchester United. But yeah, the point that he made about the aggression. I think he said after the game at the weekend is difficult to change a technically great player into an aggressive player, and we have a lot of people who are technical. Now, that is extremely damning of very particular players in the squad. I mean, you're never exactly sure who he's talking about, but I think we can be pretty sure he's talking about Paul Pogba there. Mm. But he won't be there next season. And yet Rangnick keeps picking him. He's probably talking about Jaden Sancho as well, I think, who, who could be and should be an absolutely amazing player. But the thing that he was very clearly crowded out of the game against Atletico Madrid. Now, I actually think part of that was Rangnick's fault because he was playing on the left side and um, Atletico's best defenders were on the right side and he should have been tried on the other side. He wasn't. But still, he doesn't have incredible gas and he's not incredibly physical, but he's got a frame where he could be more physical than he is. And I think I think there's work to do with Jaden Sancho for that reason, but I think there's work that can be done. Another one I wonder if he's talking about is Rafael Varane, who... Physically, and contesting the balls in the air is exceptional. But the thing with him that kind of bothers me a little bit is that when you watch United play, the goals are very rarely Varane's fault. But why isn't he doing enough to stop the team conceding all the other goals that they're conceding? And that's a different kind of aggression. It doesn't necessarily mean the kind of aggression that sees you dominate physically, but it's the kind of the aggression that means you are switched on and everyone else is always switched on and you're getting to the ball first. And Graham Souness, I think I've probably said this on here before, Graham Souness is always kind of done up as this kind of footballing dinosaur. And in a lot of ways he is. But he always says the team that gets to the ball first wins. 
and United don't have enough players that get to the ball first, then that's a different kind of aggression. It's not just the kind of aggression that sees you clatter people. And let's, let's be honest, that can sometimes help you in winning a football match. Didn't help United at the weekend, not that they did it very often. And McTominay belted them up, made no difference whatsoever. But getting to the ball first is that preparedness. It's that aggression to do what it takes to win the game, to act before your opponent does. And that is very much missing from this United team. They're untidy, they're imprecise and they're slow. Uh, every time, even when they have the ball, you see that when they're passing to each other, the weight of pass is always a bit too much or a bit too little. It doesn't enable them to keep momentum because they're imprecise. The ball control, the first touch, it just takes the ball that little bit away from them that slows down the attack. And that's a different kind, that's a different kind of aggression. It's the kind of aggression that means you understand that you're, you're in a contest and the other team are allowed to compete with you. And United play like that isn't the case. And that's why you see a mess like you saw against Leicester. And it's probably why you're going to see that in the remaining eight games. And it just sounds absolutely horrendous to think that you've got to watch another eight games of United before we can put it down for the summer. But that is the case. And Rangnick hasn't been able to change that. And it's really easy to say, well, generally, the, the, it's always been, let's blame the managers. So it was all, most of what went wrong previously was Ole's fault. And I was on here saying it's the players as well. Like the players are doing the basics incorrectly. And you could say that the manager creates the environment. But at the same time, look at the players. And then you look at it again, you still think it's the players, but for all these players to be rubbish at the same time tells you that there's something more... I don't know if systemic's even the word. There's, there's an atmosphere at the club where this is deemed acceptable because what you're seeing now and what you've seen over the last couple of weeks is there were two players who were kind of... had been a little bit above that. Alanga, when he first started playing, was a breath of fresh air. Over the last two or three months, Jaden Sancho's been much better. But you watch the game against Leicester and you see it starting to infect them as well. You've got Alanga slide-tackling Marcus Rashford when he's about to score a last-minute winner. And Sancho also was terrible at the weekend. And it's starting to have a draw on the confidence of the players that were previously actually redeeming it in some way. Do you want Ralph Ranić to have some role in the club in the future? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I mean, I don't know what that role should be. And obviously, I'm not in the club, so I've no idea how good Ralph Rangnick is. But we were talking a couple of weeks ago where I was saying that Ralph Rangnick knows these players. If you see the way he talks about these players, you can see he knows these players. Whether he knows what it takes to make a football team great, I mean, we don't know that at all. But definitely for the next little bit, he should have a very sensible idea of who should go, who should stay and what the team requires to be good in terms of personality, in terms of attitude, in terms of profile of the player. Obviously, you want the new manager to have the main ideas on that, and you want the permanent staff, like Fletcher and John Murta, to have some ideas on that as well, or what's the point of them all? Um, but Rangnick should have something to contribute because his analysis of what he's found, I mean, not that I'm any judge, but it seems to me to be pretty much spot on, the things that he's found. He's made mistakes, obviously, most particularly against Atletico, where United were doing okay, and then he absolutely made a total mess of it with the substitutions. But he seems to have a pretty good handle on what's going on, so he's definitely someone whose input you would want, but it would always be the manager, whoever they employ. I guess it probably looks like it's going to be Ten Hag, who has the final say, who should be supplying most of the ideas as to what's required to make things better. Okay. Um, where are they going to finish? And it, Would it be better for them to be playing Europa League or not playing any European football next season? Oh, it's an opportunity for them to be the first club to complete the set of all the European trophies by winning the Conference League. <laughs> I think that 
there's something to be gained financially from being in the Europa League, even if the early stages of that Europa League, if you support one of the richer clubs, are not enjoyable unless you're just... I mean, it's interesting because it's nice, same with the Conference League, I guess. You get some good Euro aways for the people that are travelling. Some places you've not been before, some places you've not even heard of. I've got a mate who supports Leicester, went to Randers away, told me he was going to Randers. I even know, what's that? And I, so I feel like I'm quite conversant in European football. But So there is that aspect. There's also the aspect, I just remember the season, the first year of Van Gaal, which came after Moyes, you know, I didn't qualify for Europe. And they got knocked out of the League Cup in the first, the first round there against the MK Dons. They lost 4-0, which is a, a very a fairly um, enervating memory. But there weren't a lot of games in that first half of the season. And when you follow football, particularly when you haven't had it in the summer, you want to watch your team. And it felt like, especially if you support a team that you're used to playing midweek games, there was hardly any football. And I found that quite, I guess unpleasant is not quite the right word, because unpleasantness was also watching Van Gaal's United but you should be careful what you wish for there is something about European football that gives you that kind of nice pleasing structure to your life that your team play at weekends and then your team play again in midweek I guess that if I was managing United I would not be sending my first team players to go and play in the early stages of the Europa League or the early stages of the Conference League if that's what it is I'd just be sending the youth team players to get some experience and why I'm on that point it's very easy as a supporter and even as a journalist to say, well, this isn't working. Just chuck the kids in. But the atmosphere at United is already not great. If it carries on like this in the next eight games, it's going to get quite toxic. And I think what Rangnick needs to do is he needs to try and find some positivity. And if he knows that Pogba, Lingard, Cavani aren't going to be around next season, it's just absolutely pointless playing them, particularly given that he's got an interest in what happens next. Because in theory, he's going to be a consultant then it's worth, why can't, why can't we see Hannibal Mabry? Why can't we see, if you've got no strikers in your squad, which United don't, why aren't, why aren't Hugo the McNeil on the bench? Fergie would do it. Like, Federico Federico Makeda scored two crucial goals for United in a week, was more or less never seen again. But there's a certain aspect of being a centre-forward that only a centre-forward is going to deliver to you. And it's strange that United aren't trying to call upon that, just to find some positivity from somewhere. Because watching the same stuff that we've seen over and over again, McFred, Bruno, Pogba, no one thinks that's going to work because no, trial and error has told us, has told us that it doesn't. So they must, they must find some positivity from somewhere. <laughs> and then I think it's much more about ending the season positively than it is about whether it's Europa League, Conference League or nothing. A lot of trial and a lot of error, it turns out. Good stuff this morning. Thanks <laughs> a generation million. of... Cheers, Daniel. Take care. See you again, lads. Have a good morning. Bye. Daniel Harris giving us some thoughts there on the weekend's football. If you want to get involved, 0879 180 180 is the WhatsApp number.